Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. Another episode of the Behind the U podcast, and we are joined by Coach Ishmael Aristide. Coach, welcome to the U, welcome to the podcast, and, and thanks for taking some time to tell your story. I'm excited. I'm excited. This is this is a big moment for me and my family. I bet it is. So let, let me ask you this. Uh, who was ex- more excited, you or Pops? I don't know. That's hard. I'm living it. So for me, yeah, probably me. I think he's excited, but he can't be more excited than me. Dad said it was a dream come true for him. Was it a dream come true for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you're born in this city and, you know, as a child, you kind of raised in the city and, and the you is always a part of who you are, no matter what your team is. So I'm the one that's actually a cane. So, you know, I think I think it's definitely one of those. It, it goes in the book of dreams coming true. So, so as we're doing this, even though this is a podcast, as we're doing this, you got that green shirt and it's got the you right there on your chest. What's it feel like to wear it? Man, it feels like. I don't know. Sometimes you pinch yourself and you like, am I really wearing this? Like, am I really a cane? Like, it feels amazing, man. It does. It, it feels amazing. I think it's a little surreal. No disrespect to the other places you've been, because obviously those places mean a lot to you. But when you're from Miami and you've got that on your chest, it does mean something a little more. Yeah, no, it does. hundred percent. It changes the dynamic. And then, you know, the program is a rich program with rich history. And I think when you think about the U, you think about, yeah, it has, it has an international brand, unlike the other places I've been. I always tell people when they think about certain institutions, are you at an institution where you're doing more for the institution than the institution can do for you? And whether you are an athlete, whether you work at the institution, whether you are just a student, no matter what function you operate in, the university will always be able to do more for you than you can do for it. University of Miami is very unique in that way. And then, like I said, being born into the Miami community is another thing that kind of changes the dynamic for you. But yeah, it'll always be special. Um, Like you can live in Miami one year and the University of Miami becomes special to you. Um, It's very much a part of the culture of this city. So you were in what year, 90? Yeah, yeah, young. So when the Canes are in their hey, or one of their heydays in that, oh, you know, 2000, 2001, you're 10, 11 years old. You're right in the thick of it, right? I mean, you must have been just digging the U back then. That's all I know. That's all I know. The U, like modern day kids would say, the U were balling out of control back then, baby. You said something interesting in your, something that caught me very curious during your media press conference. They, they asked about, you know, how did you and Manny got to know each other? And you talked about how the work you were doing from recruiting and you said, Manny knows what's going on in this city. So he, he, we may not have known each other, but he probably knew who I was and what I was doing based on the kids you were getting to go to Texas A&M. Do you think that's how he was aware of you? No, no, no. And, and you know, when I made that comment, it wasn't, that was more centered around Manny, right? And, and I, I, you know, I say that humbly, like, yeah, you know, maybe there has been some recruiting success, but it's a credit to Manny of, you know, you take Ish out of the picture. I'm sure Manny was very well aware of 
T-Rob too, right? Like T-Rob comes down into Miami and he signs some of the best players. He's very well aware of other guys on other staffs, but it's a credit to Coach Diaz about owning his city. And I think he wanted to hire like-minded people who wanted to own the city. Just as he went through his process of research, whether it was about ball, because he knows our court, the last couple of coordinators I worked for too. He knows their scheme. He knows what they do. You know, it had to be a good culture fit. It had to be a good football fit. It had to be the right guy, the right role model for the players. And it also had to be a good recruiting fit. And I think from a recruiting perspective, he's aware of no matter who you sign or when you sign them, he knows what's going on in South Florida. He knows the history of the university. He knows the history of the players that they missed out on even when Manny wasn't here. And so I think it's more of a credit to him. And, you know, when I'm looking for the right person, it's not, oh, who's just recruited the people in the city. It's more from a collective perspective of doing really, really thorough research. I said that also in the last interview, like he did, a, he does a lot of research and I, I wasn't the only name. It wasn't like, you know, I was the only guy, but, you know, you still got to interview your way into the job. That comment was more about a credit to him and how detail oriented he is versus most coaches who just kind of hire names. He does a lot of research on, you know, who he wants around the program. And I, I took it, I took it both ways, right? I took it as one, a credit to him to exactly what you said. And obviously there's some credit to you that you would establish yourself, that you would be a guy that he would research. So how, how'd you get all those kids to hop over like five states and get to Texas A&M? You know, relationships, getting into the weeds, building relationships with the family, with the parents and you know, I let the chips fall where they may and they fell my way. Not to discredit anybody else or the job that they did or anything like that. You know, we just, we bet on the right horse and we end up getting them. The lead up to Jimbo trusting you to have that big of a presence in Miami when you had, you know, kind of been in the business for what, three or four years? You gotta ask him. I, I think, you know, he's in the building with me every day. He gets around me. He sees my character, how I operate, how I function on a day-to-day -day basis. He's very much a in-person person and looking you in the eye every day and he's super personable and wants to figure out, okay, what's the DNA of the guys in my building? And I think he figured out very quickly, hey, I got somebody in my building that will, you know, is hungry and I won't put him to use. And I think that's what he did. You know, I, I got a young, aggressive, hungry coach from a coaching perspective and from a recruiting perspective. You know, he wants to be you know, a little bit of a, you know, can do it all type of guy. I think he saw that and he said, well, let's, let's take advantage of it. You know, he has the ability to relate. He can communicate and, you know, multiple environments and, and whether it's recruiting a kid out of Liberty city or you recruiting a kid out of <laughs> all of Gulliver, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. We'll put him anywhere and um, he'll find a way to get it done. And I think he saw that. And, and I think he, you know, kind of like Manny is an identifier of what he has in his building, you know, whether it's some, somebody that's talented or not talented, and he's going to find a way to, to you know, get it to function so that the, the institution operates at the highest level. And at A&M, you were a QC or an analyst? Analyst. So you didn't get to go on the road? I did. I was on the road. You got to go on the road. I did. Yeah, I was on the road for two years there. They got a waiver to activate me. Ah, now it makes sense. When I was there, I operated like a full-time coach. Part of the curiosity to me was just hearing the stories, right? Going, man. He's an analyst. He's not supposed to be off campus, and yet he's doing this work. But now, now the story, now it comes full circle. Now I got it. Yeah. So like I, I've seen these guys. So like I've seen, like I've been on the road and seen T. Rob in recruiting last year. Like I was on the road and I saw Rhett, and I worked with Rhett at uh, Auburn, but I've seen him in recruiting last year in Miami. I want to circle back to you were talking about Manny, right, and about own, knowing his backyard, knowing his city, having the research, seeing if it was a fit. 
what are the things he wanted when you fought, you said you had to earn your way into, you know, earn your way into the job. So what do you think some of the things were that where you meshed with him? And then what do you think some of the things were that you said to him that made him believe that you were the right guy? I think the biggest thing is he's so, so character driven. And I value that to the highest degree. What is the character of the coaches that I'm bringing around these young men? Because I do think Manny's the type of head coach that is in this for all of the right reasons, right? Like we know plenty of coaches and we know the story of guys who are not in this for the right reasons. And I think with my background and my story and him kind of having a awareness of who my father is and just kind of knowing our history, I'm in this for the right reasons. Like I don't have to coach. Coach Diaz is smart enough. He doesn't have to coach. He's making a conscientious choice based on what's in his spirit and who he is as a man to do this. Our, many of our other coaches in the building, right? Like great coaching staff, nobody, everybody made a choice to do this. And I think he hired a bunch of guys who are all doing this for the right reasons. And I think that was his biggest thing. Like what is coach Aristide's character? What is Ish's character? Who is he? Is he a cultural fit? for my program, like my current players now, like the recruiting thing's good. There are a bunch of recruiters out there, right? And not to be want to be labeled as a recruiter, but there are a bunch of guys in college football that have recruited a bunch of big time players. Um, but like cultural fit and what, you know, what have you been exposed to? Have you been ex exposed to winning football? Have you been exposed to high level defense? Have you been exposed to enough schematic, the things you've done schematically on defense that relate to what we do on defense? And so, you know, what's your schematic regimen? You know, we talked about earlier how much attention to detail he has, and, and it's amazing. And, and I think the biggest thing, though, would have to be character. And then I think the second thing is part of what motivates people is being a part of something that's larger than themselves. And I think he knew that the first time, you know, he talked to me that I would have the same level of energy and passion for the University of Miami in this damn city the same way he does. And, like, you know, when you go to talking about the U, you go to talking about the university and you talk about Miami and the culture. And I think when we were on the phone, he felt that energy. Like, he felt it. He's like, I feel the energy. Like, I, I feel like this is important to you. You know, it has to be your baby. And Miami is his baby, right? And, like, we all got to be evenly yoked for it to go where we want it to go. And it's got to be your baby. You got to love it. You got to live and die by it. It's got to be larger than you. It can't be about Ish, the coach, and I'm coaching this guy, and I'm at the U now. And no, it's got to be bigger than you. And you got to have that energy and that, that same level of passion and desire. And I think he felt that when he talked to me. Like, you know, one of the, the big things is we always talk about, do you make people feel you? Do they feel you when they're talking to you? So if Manny's a grown man who's highly intelligent and I could make him feel me, um, he knew he, you know, he's smart enough and he talks about this all the time with our team and in our program. Like, you know, you got a better chance of influencing a young adult or, or a child or a recruit or a parent when you have that ability. And I, and I think when it's about the University of Miami, he felt that passion and that energy and that drive and that hunger and that desire to grow every part of the university and the program and the city and the football team and the players and all of it. There are about three or four things I need to unpack out of what you just talked about. So let's talk about, I'm just going to go in and how it pops into my head. Schematically, your schematic resume, the places you've been, how do you think that paired up Auburn, Ole Miss, Texas A&M to, to how it fit into what Manny wants to do? Yeah, Texas A&M, probably most relatable, um, you know, at A&M, we kind of had like a striker position. And that guy was like a 
converted DB, really, that was a more athletic guy. And, you know, having been in that scheme for two years and, you know, in my role, you really are in the weeds, right? Like, because the analyst role is really a football role. It's not a recruiting role. You have to be schematically equipped. You have to be. And I think he has hired those type of people, right? Like he hired an ex-coordinator in Coach T-Rob, who's brilliant. He hired Demarcus Van Dyke, who has NFL exposure. He hired Jess Simpson, who just left the NFL. He hired Packy, who knows his scheme and has been with him the longest. What your schematic regimen is was important to him. And are you smart enough? Because Manny isn't the old school. Like, no, dude, like you have to be intelligent. Being around Manny the last five years, I was talking to someone the other day. There's two things that are, I, I love about Manny. He's a person before he's a coach. And he is more worldly than being a football coach. And I think that connects with all kinds of people. Yeah, that's where he and I, you know, you're just talking about commonality. We have that unique background, right? Like Manny's first job was not in football. We talk about unpacking stuff. I wanted to ask you, because you talk about culture and fit, that Manny likes people who did not start off in football. Yeah, like, you know, he kind of, we kind of talked through my background a little bit and just, you know, it, it kind of piggybacks off of the conversation we were having about guys making a choice to do this. Jess didn't have to be here. Jess chose this. Jess chose Miami. It's very much a part of who he wants to be in his DNA. T-Rob chose Miami. DVD chose Miami. I'm sure he could have went and coached in the league for a coach that he played for. I'm sure Packy's had job offers. Packy chose Miami. He chose to be a football coach. I made a conscientious decision to leave corporate America and coach football. In my first year, I made no money, and I didn't care. I wanted to coach football. My dad's an old ball coach who used to be the head coach at Miami Central, North Miami. And, and it's in my DNA. I probably had no choice. It was coming at some point. Like, I probably denied it for as long as I could. And, and um, you know, I've been around ball my whole life. I, I was When I was being born, my father was on the practice field at Miami Central High School. Literally. When my mom got rushed to the North Shore Hospital, my father was in the middle of football practice. He didn't plan that out. They're supposed to be spring and summer babies when you're a football coach. That's a whole nother, you know, pops, pops doing what pops do. Let's get into the weeds about corporate America, because to me, this is the behind the you podcast is about telling people's story. And I find this to be the joy of doing this, right, is that you get to hear everyone's story and it's different. So you went to Purdue, you get out, you go to work in Atlanta and corporate America. So why don't you tell people what you did and, and then how you got there? You know, got my degree from Purdue. I had several knee injuries. And so I had a knee injury actually before I went to college. You know, when I was in school, ruptured my hamstring from the bone. I tore my knee up again and I just kind of knew like, man, your body is not going to allow you to go through the rigor of what it takes to be a football player anymore. You just had too many injuries. I probably wore myself out in high school playing three different sports. We probably shouldn't have did that. Like kids these days don't do that anymore. And so part of that is probably injuries and being smart. And so finishing up college, I was like, man, I got to do something with my life. And I thank God I was at a place like Purdue. And, you know, my mind was expanded beyond football. And you had to, right? Because then you kick in the survival mode. Like, what am I going to do? Like, mama ain't letting me come stay at her house. Dad ain't letting me come stay back at his house. He'd, like, he'd be like, dude, you're a grown man. You're not coming to stay at my house. You better figure it out. And so you go into the mode of, like, I... I have to make something of myself. And very quickly, you know, my mind reshifted because being from South Florida, you all about ball. It's ball. Ball ball is life. You know, that's in the real sense. That's what it is for South Florida kids. And, you know, having to make that psychological shift was hard. And I made the shift and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I know I had to do something. I know coming out, I wanted to make money. 
I think everybody generally has that idea in their mind, like, all right, I want to make money. So I didn't come out of school thinking, all right, I want to do what I love. Because if I chose that, I probably would have stayed in football. But I think the biggest blessing I had was leaving and, and going to Deloitte. I worked at Deloitte. The, the company name is Deloitte & Touche, and it's known for tax and advisory. It's one of the big four. Um, but they have a division within the company that's Deloitte Consulting, which is one of the top five consulting firms. It's the most revenue generating part of the company, of most companies that provide professional services like um, business advisory, tax audit, consulting, uh, finance advisory, all the different functions of uh, business practices. But, you know, it's something I did for three years. I came out my first year, I was a business analyst and I got promoted um, to management consultant and all of that stuff. And it was good. I had a bunch of different clients and I traveled a lot. I traveled 52 weeks out of 52 weeks. You know, I made money and, and I and I enjoyed my time there. It's a phenomenal company and they're still leaders of the company that I stay in touch with on a day-to-day basis and um, that come to games. Like I got partners that still come to games. You know, there's a, there's a finance partner in Atlanta that still comes to games. The way I check the schedule, we, I don't know if we're going to Georgia Tech or not this year, but you better get your tickets lined up if we are. I know. No, we're playing Alabama. Oh, that's right. You're right. You're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah, I got my tickets. They already got them. They got them all. They, <laughs> they, they trust me. They make enough money. They don't need my tickets. <laughs> they need my tickets. Trust me. But but no, it was it was a good time. It was a special time. And then I end up, you know, end up leaving and and go. Hold on, hold on. Over. So everyone has that moment, right? I, I know, you know, the moment when you say you said it was in your DNA. It was going to come out at some point. So how did it come out? Yeah, soul searching. Soul searching. You know, I'm I'm big on personal development. And so I spend a lot of time reading. I spend a lot of time, you know, the, the most important, I tell my players this, the most important conversation you have every day is the conversation you have with yourself. And I'm constantly having those conversations. I'm constantly being introspective and figuring out like what's am I am am I meeting my goals? Are these the right goals? Should I even be doing this? You know, how does this fit my spirit? How does this fit my DNA? And I think as an adult, you have to do that your whole life, right? Like you got to constantly be searching for what your purpose is. I knew just from all of the time you put into getting to know who you are. And I've known who I was for a really long time. That That's not it. Like This is not my horizon. This is not my sunset. You know, when you start to feel that you have to start to go where God leads you and um, not to get overly spiritual, but you have to kind of go with, you know, where life takes you. And, and I'm glad life took me that way. Um, because that's probably what I've been destined to do anyway. But I think God put me in the professional services world to kind of give me some professionalism. And, you know, you get some exposure to different things that at a really high level, because Deloitte is, I don't think it get much higher than that. But, you know, at a really high level, and, and, you know, I got a chance to jump back into football at a high level. If you stayed at Deloitte or stayed down that path, where do you think you are now? Fighting to be a partner in the firm. I would have probably stayed and been a partner in the firm. I mean, we got like Deloitte such a unique place. Like they say every one year in Deloitte, it's like three years in industry. People that don't work in consult because you have new clients and new projects and it's rapid. You work in 90 hours a week, sometimes 100 hours a week. Very competitive landscape, um, as competitive as it gets. And I probably just would have been sucked into that just from the perspective of like feeding my competitive energy. You can tell on this podcast, I have an enormous amount of competitive energy. I'm like overly competitive. But yeah, I probably would be there trying to fight to be a partner. The energy, the hours, the grind, the fight, all that stuff transfers to football. But you make the decision, all right, I need to go follow my passion spiritually. I got to go find my calling. It still has to happen. How does that door at Auburn open up? 
I actually got a call from Kevin Steele. He was looking for GA. He just left LSU. Got a call from him. I was I was working at Deloitte at the time, and I was willing to do whatever it took. And Bantam's not going to remember this, but I even took some of my vacation time and was going to intern at the University of Miami. I slept on Bantam's couch for three days. Wait, what? Yeah. All, he was rooming with a guy by the name of Keelan Johnson, disconnected from the university a while back, who's a very close friend of mine. And they were rooming together at the time because he was real tight with Thomas Brown. And I know TB, I've known TB. And I like interned in the weight room for Gus for like three days. Nobody here is going to ever remember that, right? Like they would never remember that. Nobody would know. But like, if you ask some of the weight room guys, they'd be like, hmm. So I just want to put this on the record for to make sure we're, we're all understanding this right. Mark Rick is the head coach. Bonda is the safeties coach. And you stay with him for three days. You intern in the weight room under Coach Felder. For three days. For three days. I took my vacation time. To come down from Deloitte to come down and intern. Yeah, I was going to do it for free. Well, how come it's only three days? Three days because eventually I got to go back to work and resign or I'm going to get fired. You don't have unlimited vacation time. No, you don't. So I go back to work that, I think, Thursday. Um, so I did that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I go back to work Thursday. I get into work late. I get a phone call from Kevin Steele, and he says, hey, we're going to interview some GAs. Your name came up. However it came up, we'll talk about off the record. But he's like, hey, your name came up, and, you know, I, I would like for you to interview for this job. And I said, well, I'm currently in New York right now. He was like, well, if you want the job, you need to be here by 9 a.m. tomorrow. And I said, well, I would have to get a flight. He was like, well, well, hey, 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 hey. I don't know if you ever met Coach Steele, but Steele was like, hey, 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 look, dude, look, dude, you can interview for this job if you want it, but the interviews are tomorrow at 9 a.m. I don't care about you being in New York. That's between you and you. You'll be here tomorrow at 9 o'clock. I said, yes, sir. So I'm literally at work on a computer looking up flights. I get up, tell my boss I don't feel well, leave catch a flight that night out of New York to Atlanta, get a rental car from Atlanta, drive over to Auburn. I didn't have time to study. He didn't give me time. It was like, and you can call Coach Steele and ask him, but he was like, hey, I don't care. It's not my problem. It's your problem. If you're going to be in this business, you better figure that out. And um, yeah, I don't care. You be here tomorrow at 9 o'clock to interview. You know, I got there. I interviewed. Travis Williams was there, actually. He was a linebacker coach. This is insane. Yeah, interview. And actually, the guy that I was going to be working under directly was not even there. He was uh, leaving the New Orleans Saints, Wesley McGriff. And so McGriff, McGriff calls me <laughs> right after I got done with the interview with Steele. I was like, man, do you want the job? I said, yeah. He said, well, you need to meet me in Atlanta this afternoon. What? Yeah, this is the God's honest true story. So I interviewed with McGriff in Atlanta at a Macy's. At a Macy's? Yep. Oh, my goodness gracious. No time to prepare. Wait, why, why Macy's? Shopping? No, I think he was like uh, prepping to be a speaker somewhere or he was doing, he needed to be there. He was picking up something. So he was like, meet me where I'm at. I'm here picking up a suit or something. Maybe it was for like signing day or something like that. It was something important. He was picking up a suit or something. I think that was like the closest open public place he could find in the moment. But it was like, this has to be done today or we're going to hire somebody else. So you drove from Auburn, Alabama, to Atlanta. Back to Atlanta after I had just flown. It hadn't even been 24 hours yet. After I had just flown from New York that night, 
drive from Atlanta to Auburn, interview all day, and I don't find out that day whether I'm getting a job or not. I have no idea what's going on. 4 p.m., I get a call. The interview's over around 3. About 4 p.m., I get a call, and it was like, hey, the interview's over. Do you want to come meet with me? I'm like, yeah. He was like, well, I'm in Buckhead. You can meet me at XYZ location, and it was good, though. And this is for a GA position. This is a GA job. They interviewed me like I was, uh, like, this dude interviewed me like I was about to be the coordinator. I was like, aren't you the coordinator? Why are you asking me all these questions? Like, this is this is supposed to be simple, man. But no, it's Auburn. It's, it's Auburn. It's SEC football. So when did you find out? I found out the next day. And where are you? Are you back? Like, are you in Atlanta, Auburn, back in New York? Like, I'm in Atlanta at the time. You know, on Friday, we're not at our client on Friday. So I wasn't going to be at my client on Friday anyway. So called my boss, took the job, never went back to Deloitte. They never saw me again. And now you're, you're going from making big time money to going to school, taking classes, making no money and being a GA and living the life you wanted. Yeah, lived in the dorm. Coach Malzahn made me live in the dorm. <laughs> That's the God's honest truth, by the way. Did this come up when you talked to Manny? I think he knows the story. I still left some things out. I'm sure. I still left some. I gave you dessert. I gave you, I gave you most of it. I gave you what mattered. I gave you what was all very, very verifiable. I got you. Is there anything interesting you left out that I'd like to know? Not that I can think of now. That's a lie. <laughs> so how many years at Auburn? One? Yep. And then how do you get to Ole Miss? McGriff gets the coordinator job there. I had the choice to either stay at Auburn or um, actually I did. I stayed a month after the work with Greg Brown. So I worked with Greg. Greg is awesome. A very good coach. You know, that staff was amazing. I enjoyed being on staff with Travis, who's a real good friend of mine. He's awesome. Um, the D-line coach, the coordinator. I mean, everybody was awesome. Working with Gus. I was working with Coach Lashley at the time, who's freaking phenomenal. Love that dude. And, um, you know, Ole Miss was a new opportunity. It was an analyst opportunity. Probably I was tired of living in a dorm. <laughs> uh, but it was hard. It was hard because, you know, you know, Coach Malzahn gave me the opportunity to stay and wanted me to stay. So did Coach Steele. And, you know, I think at the time, you know, Coach McGriff and I had a really good relationship and, and it was a step up in the profession with another SEC team. And Coach Freeze had done some phenomenal things. You know, I wish things would have worked out a little bit longer there for him. But, you know, the time that I did spend there with him, I enjoyed working with him. I'm glad he hired me. I'm glad he helped continue me, helped me continue my career and gave me an opportunity. And, and uh, you know, I ended up going with that. At the time, they were playing good football, really good. They beat Alabama twice, almost three times by the end, almost three times in a row by the end. And when we played them at Auburn, they had us against the ropes now. And so, you know, I know he does a good job with all his programs. You can see it now at Liberty. I ended up making that decision, and I guess it worked out down the road. What did you learn being at three different SEC schools that you think it helped this program? So many things come to mind that you want to say. <laughs> so many different things. But I, I think that the biggest thing is part of the reasons I took the job and you talk about helping Coach Diaz in the program is, is Coach Diaz has a standard. He does. And I, and I worked with some really strong head coaches, Coach Malzahn, Coach Freeze, Matt Luke, and Coach Fisher. And being at those different programs, you see that standard enforced at a really high level. And I think Manny has that. I think everything that he stands for and wants to employ and enforce within the culture of this program is something that, you know, I picked up along the way how important culture is, and how important, you know, having a vision and getting people to buy into that vision is because I've seen it done four different ways. 
And so I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like Manny has a standard. He has a way he wants his culture to go. That's a never ending battle. And there's a level of dedication and energy that you have to put into that, a level of effort and grind that you have to put into that, into influencing these young men and influencing a culture in the city and doing it at a high level. Um, I think that was probably the biggest thing, right? Like, can I get somebody in the building that can pour into the vision that I have and believe in the vision to the same degree that I do? And so you talk about like, you get in those programs in that conference and you realize very quickly, we better all be marching to the same beat too. And we better all be feeling the same way. And we better all have that edge about ourselves and that, that drive and that deep desire about ourselves. And, and I think you have no way to be successful in that conference unless you have it because the minimum requirement is hours, right? Like we're all going to put in hours. Every coach is going to put in hours. in those hours. Like, are you attacking it the same way? And I think, you know, that level of attack, attack mode, that level of overdrive, grind mode, but like not just the hours, but like in it, like I'm in it mentally and I'm in it to execute and uh, understanding how important execution is. And that's, that's probably the second part, right? Like pouring into the vision, knowing how to do that. Here's a standard. Here's how to resurge. And here's how important execution is. Because a lot of those games that I was a part of came down to like really small uh, details and execution. And so it's a really competitive league. It's a competitive league football-wise and it's a competitive, competitive league in recruiting. I think we all know that. That goes without being said. Uh, I'm not the only one. You got you got Red, you got T-Rob, you got me, guys who've been in that conference and, and know the competitive landscape and have seen it. That level of dedication and seriousness is something that I think is what makes Miami unique to the to the ACC, right? Because I think for a while, and, and still is this way today, Miami mentally where it has been and where it wants to go is at that level. Like my, It isn't like you come into Miami and like, oh, it's okay if we win eight games. Like, hell no. Hell no. We're here to win it all. We're here to, to do it at a level higher because we got something different to offer. And by hook or crook, we're going to find a way to get just as good, if not better players. And this is the doggone city of Miami. It's Miami, Florida. At one point, the highest concentration of NFL players and high-level players and all the football. And so, you know, I think this town has that same tenacity towards, you know, wanting to be the alpha, the apex team, you know, you call it an apex predator, but like the apex predator of college football, Miami can very well be that. Um, now we got to work our butts off. It ain't going to be easy. You know, we got to get our grind on, but you know, it's, it's competitive. Those conferences are different though. It's different when you're in a small town, you know, there aren't the little voices in the corner saying, Oh, we should do this. We should know when a coach in that town asks for something or when something has to get done, or when the culture of the team is impacted a certain way, or like when it needs to function in a certain capacity, like everybody's marching in that direction. There are no little people in the background jabbing you. Like this doesn't function that way. It very much functions like a town of a family. All right, so now watch this segue. Your family. Yeah. You said two things earlier in this I'm a, I wanna go back to. So you said ball is life growing up in Miami. Your dad is a football coach, so is ball life in the Aristide family? I think it really, really shaped who my father was. I think it afforded him some opportunities that otherwise he may not have. You know, my father's highly intelligent. I think he was a math major. 
<laughs> so a different kind of smart, by the way. Yeah, I, I think you got. I think he's multiple degree too. I think he has multiple degrees. I'd argue, and I say this sarcastically, I'd argue you got to be pretty intelligent to be a high school principal, both book smart and street smart. The latter, maybe more so than the former. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, you know, I think that it, you know it presents itself with. You know, the challenge that you're raising a child and you're raising him in Miami and he, he's born in Miami and he's born into a culture where ball is the is the center of life. And you as a parent have grown into this really well-rounded person. And so how do I instill that in my son so he's as well-rounded as I need him to be so he can function in life and not just the guy that when ball crumbles, his life vanishes. And so I, I think the, the biggest thing is they trained you to have survival skills first. They trained survival skills. My, both my parents did. Are you talking literally? Are you talking literally survival skills? Yeah, I think the biggest gift my dad gave me was to teach me to be resourceful. Literally. Because I never met Kevin Steele the day in my life before I got the job at Auburn. I had to scrape it up some type of way, right? I never met Wesley McGriff the day in my life before I got to Auburn. Or Gus Malzahn a day in my life before I got to Auburn. So I had to scrape it up. It don't just happen by osmosis, right? Can you give me an example of maybe how he did that? Yeah, I think my dad is, he prides himself on discipline. <laughs> I think the guy that was in my notes, a, pr a football coach turned principal. I got to imagine discipline's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. You can ask Pata about that. Pata and Hippolyte got some funny stories about my pops. What, they play for him? No, no, but they've been around him because I think Hippolyte was at Booker T, right? Yeah. Then he would have worked for my uncle, William Aristide, who was the principal at Booker T. He just left Booker T last year, this year, actually. Um, so they, they are very much well aware of my family and the community, both having Haitian backgrounds, too. And so, you know, I think um, in the Haitian community in Miami, you know, my father, there ain't many people he's not going to know. You know, I, I think discipline is at the forefront because, you know, he went to Curly and he went to Bethune-Cookman and then he got multiple degrees and then he started, you know, he worked multiple jobs and he was a coach and he was a teacher and became an assistant principal. He was an AD. He was an AD at the time where Miami Northwestern was winning all those championships. And then he goes to Crop. He's at North Miami. He's at all these different schools. And, and I'm very disciplined, very, very disciplined. And most football players who embrace this environment become that way and very regimented. You know, my mom was an athlete. She ran track at Curly. And so, you know, my mom and dad went to school together. But I come from two parents that are really, really, really hard workers. And when you have that, in you um, DNA wise, all they got to do is kind of mold the clay. The clay's there. They just kind of got to mold it. And, and I think he did a good job of that by being consistent, very consistent dude. Like this dude gets up every day, same time. He don't miss a beat. He come home, same time. He don't miss a beat. Like very, very much so one of the most consistent people I've ever met. And I think I pride myself on being the same person every day. And so that language and that visual that you see every day from your father and from your mom and how they operate, not just what they tell you, right? Because you can have the parent that's like always yapping, to have two parents that were always literally working. Like I'm literally getting up at five in the morning and I'm going to work and I'm coming home at five and I'm still cooking and I'm still cleaning and I'm still hustling and I'm still grinding and I'm working two jobs. And you see the work ethic. Like I always tell players this, like, yeah, I saw my dad on the come up. Cause when we were growing up, it's not like we had money now. Like my dad was born in the Bahamas. Like, it's not like, you know, he came to this country as a little boy. It's not like he came here with money. My mom definitely didn't have money. You know, I grew up in Liberty City, so it's not like we had an inheritance for somebody to give me. It's not like they had it. So, you know, my dad having me in his 20s, 
he's still very much hustling, right? He's a high school coach. He's not making no money. You know, he's grinding, working three jobs. And he literally, I think, worked three jobs. I think he taught night school. I think he worked another off-brand job. I think he was a coach and taught regular school. And so I saw that. You see that, right? Like your kids are watching you at all times. And that's like the most hustling dude I ever met. Very much the epitome of an extremely resourceful person. The world doesn't owe you anything. It's the biggest lesson I learned. They repeat that even to this day. Nobody owes me anything. They don't owe me a favor. They don't owe me. They don't. Nobody owes me. And so that mentality is the mentality that you have when you come to this country. You come to this country and you got to work. Nobody's handing you anything. Never, ever in my life. And so I earned every opportunity. I would imagine after all that being said, you must be super proud of him that he's moved up the ladder to become a principal. Brother Beast Mode, that school was not doing well before he took it over. He's one of the most successful high school principals that that school has ever had. School was an F school before he got it. He turned it into an A school in Liberty City with the demographics that go to that school. So, you know, I, you know, I don't say that to be overly confident, but I, I'd argue that he's done some pretty historical stuff. He did that at Miami Northwestern and then at the same time was the head coach at Miami Central <laughs> and I think went like 10 and 11 and one or something. I would imagine as a principal at an inner city school, one of the things that he learned is how to read kids, what they need, what's missing, be a coach, be an adult, be a mentor, how to relate to them growing up in Liberty City. That's got to help you. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent, 100 percent. When you can get on the phone and tell somebody, hey, you know, I lived off of whatever, whatever avenue street and this is kind of what i'm about and this is who i am you know what i mean and that level of comfort and familiarity that they have with you it goes without saying you know it's hard to describe when you you talking to a parent and you say hey i know what your life's been all about and they can identify with that and so it definitely does help and we got multiple guys in our building that are like that hi hurricane fans joe zagaki here for ups Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. Can I tell you something, man? I I think uh, the staff is got some the right people in the right place I, th- I think we are all excited and I, it's fun every day coming in to work with these guys it is it is it's a very unique staff I think I said this to Cooney after I did this with T-Rob even though I I didn't know T-Rob but I know who he was because I covered high school football down here for a few years is not sure we've had guys on the staff like you guys to get done what needs to get done Miami operates at a different level. Yeah, the desire, the want to was one thing, but then there's also the execution off the field. Execution off the field is critical. You know, there are things you got to keep in perspective. It's not going to be easy. Of course not. It it won't be easy because... uh, It's not easy because when you were at Texas A&M or Auburn or Ole Miss, you and everyone else and their mother was coming down here to do the same thing you're trying to do now working working the home team side. It's a hotbed. It's a hotbed. And, And so, you know, when you have a hotbed... To protect it, you need fighters. You need fighters. You got to have guys that are that are that scratch and claw and fight. And you got guys like DVD who knows everybody in every part of the city. 
You got guys like Cooney who know everybody in every part of the city. You got Stephen Fields who's been in the city. You got Coach Lashley who's been in the SEC and works his tail off. You got guys that have done it and got sledgehammers and been doing it a long time. You got T-Rob who's been doing it a long time in this state, not like somewhere else. He's been doing it in this state, in this city. You know, like he, we were talking today and so funny, I got a chance to coach the two corners that he had at Auburn. He signed them and then I coached them. He coached them two for a year and I coached them the year after. One is from South Florida, Carlton Davis, and the other one, Mel Dean. You know, I had him at Auburn. We were actually, I pulled up some drill tape. I was like, see, I coached, I coached your Super Bowl dudes too. So that's what you got. That's what you got here. You got the guy who, you know, signed the two corners that started and won the Super Bowl this year. You know, and then you got the guy that came behind him and helped coach him. Um, and Miami is still, still when you hear that name, people feel it. People still feel Miami. I don't care what nobody say. We feel it. We like it was a it was a blow when Leonard Taylor signed the University of Miami. Like other teams felt that. Like, oh. 100%, but, I'll, but on the flip side, what I'll say is we needed to feel that. Oh, yeah. We hadn't felt that enough. Like five-star Leonard Taylor here, five-star James Williams here, because you can make a long list of guys that have left. I, I'll answer that question this way. It's not really a question, but I'll respond to that statement this way. There are a lot of factors that go into that. A lot of factors that the staffs before this staff had no control over. Some of that's a product of the recent history of this place and what the school has gone through. I was at Ole Miss when that school went through some stuff too. And I saw what it did to the program. And it's, it took years. I'm talking like, it takes years to recover from that stuff. It's not, and you know, you're in a city and this city can be hard on the sports teams at times, but it's not, it's still a college football. It's not the NFL where you can go get a whole new salary cap and get a new coach and new players and change it all with money and operate that way. And so if the program is being run the right way, like it is now, then it takes time. I don't think people ever understood the handicap it was given and how long it takes to get out of it. That blow, you can't, I came from Ole Miss, so I can fathom it, but the U blow was hard. That was a Mike Tyson jab. The other thing that happened too, even though this area has been recruited that way for a long time, I think that opened the floodgates. Completely. But I mean this as a compliment that the staff is set up in a way to to succeed in this city to get done what needs to get done to turn the corner we think so no we just got to go execute of course and i always say winning always helps and that's going to but you you know you land here the way i look leonard taylor james williams right that's two but you put two on or three on every year you now you got 12. Woo! now you did now you're dealing with some you know and, and i would say every player isn't going to be as rare as them right you get one or two, and if you're playing with three rare players on a defense, right? I'm not saying you had 20 of them, I'm just saying you get two a class, three a class, you take eight from the bottom, let's say off, and put eight on top, right? It changes the whole dynamic of the team, yeah. Like you got to look at the team and say, okay, the teams we're playing against that we need to win those games, how many freak shows do they have, and how many do we have in the ACC, yeah? But your standard can't be the ACC. That's the, that's the brilliance in, in Coach Diaz, it's like. When was Miami standard the ACC? Miami standard has always been win it all. So, like, the idea that we lose to a team outside of this conference and say, oh, well, we just need to, like, no, 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 no. The standard is the highest level because this is the U. That's the standard. The standard is the mountaintop because this is the U. That's the standard. And if you don't believe that, you don't belong here. I'm sorry, but I get passionate. But if you don't believe it, you don't belong here. 
and you can get out and you can go on the horse that you rode in. Yeah, I got you. I think, you know, with T-Rob, Jess, Packy, DVD, Red, Hicks, I mean, all of us feel, I mean, we we believe that. We believe we should have the best best quarterback in the country. So we go get the best quarterback in the country. Should have the best O-line in the country. The mentality of what you just said is different than maybe how it's been. I want dynamic players that change the game. Like, you know, Coach Diaz, we know, we, 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 I put it like this. I don't want players that help us win games. I want players that win games for us. Those guys are game changers. Yeah. Like, he's going to change the game for us. Like, I don't care what I call. I can call the same defense every down. And the way he plays the game and the talent level that he has will change the game for us. And that's what Miami is all about. And that's why I want to get back to Leonard Taylor and James Williams. You start putting two and two and two and two, and now you got eight or 10 or whatever it is. And now you got game changers, program changers. You got war daddies, baby. You got war daddies. That's right. But back to the ACC, the only thing I would say is Miami's got to figure out how to push through them to get to where you want to go. No doubt. Yeah, the mentality's got to be to dominate the league. Not win games in the league, dominate the league. You know, everything starts with language. What language do you use? Do you use the language of we just want to win or do you lose the language that we want to dominate? That's how Manny was at the D.C. Yeah, yeah. No, he's not into the whole, like, modest – well, we'll see. Because yeah, you, yeah, like you're setting yourself up to get well, Coach Diaz is all about like I'm in full speed attack mode, and if they gain a yard, that's a problem. And and we all function that way because Simpson's been around high level defense, Packy's been around high level defense, DVD's been around high level defense, T. Rob has called defenses and been around high level defense with Will and and that whole saving tree, and I've been around high level defense because I've been around that same tree, and so my expectation is to like, like a yard matters. A yard pisses me off. Like he gained a yard. Why? Why wasn't in the TFL? Why didn't we like, why didn't we throw like a choke this dude? Like that's our mentality. Like that's the edge you got to play with. That's what Miami is. Miami is a group of individuals that when they step on the field, they play with the edge that scares everybody. And your mindset rubs off on the players. It become an extension of you. You're the best, man. I can't wait to meet you uh, in person. I, I love doing this. And uh, if I, could, I, don't, I don't know what I could do, but if I could do anything, hit me up. No doubt. <laughs>